Hello, yes, it's another episode of The Raw Podcast. They are coming thick and fast. There's so many interviews over the last 10, 15 years that I have to digitise. And so it's fantastic to be able to listen back to them. And this in particular is one of my favourite interviews. Roy Wright um, in 2002 came down to Melbourne to visit Doug Haywood, a very close friend of his who wasn't well. And Roy agreed to drop by the house. And I remember he turned up in the smallest car you could ever imagine. And Roy was very tall. So it was like something out of The Simpsons, this gigantic man hopping out of this little mini car. Um, and, and Roy uh, stayed for a very long chat. So this will be in parts one, two, and three or so. As a side note, what you'll hear during the interview is my father will make a cameo at times because he was in the kitchen <laughs> making a cup of tea and lunch for us during the interview. So he throws in a few questions as well. Um, a bit of a sad side note. Doug Haywood passed away later that year and Roy Wright himself passed away four days later. So here is the interview with the gentle giant, the man who won two Brownlow medals with Richmond, four bests and fairests, is in Richmond's team of the century and is Richmond's Hall of Fame and will one day be a Richmond immortal. Roy Wright. I should say thank you for your... For, for driving all the way to Melbourne. Oh, mate. No. <laughs> Just for me, no. It's a pleasure. You okay. know that. No. Now, I'm going I'm to ask you a question which I ask everyone I've yep. interviewed. It's the first question, and their answers have re- have been perhaps one sentence long or Whatever. a long one. And the question is, why Richmond? Well, I lived in Northview. Which was uh, Richmond area. Which was Richmond territory. Mm-hmm. And um, everyone thought, obviously, that it was going to be Hawthorne because, I mean... We're that much closer to the Hawthorne ground than the Richmond ground, but in those days, a, a street divided territories. And of course, Northview, for some obscure reason, was Richmond rather than, uh, than Hawthorne. Yeah. Now, you were born in... Another cup, Roy? 29. Yeah. In North... Northview. Yep, yeah, in Northview. Yeah, born in Northview. Right. Did your parents follow football? Yeah, my dad... Uh, my dad played for Geelong seconds or something, way, 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 way back to that. Uh, my mum was born in Richmond and uh, absolutely loved Richmond, my mum. So uh, she, she beat my father for our sort of affections of who we're going to bury, of course. You want to knock up? Yeah, well, maybe. Yeah. yeah, so uh, mum was, Dottie was mad Richmond, my mum. But my dad was Geelong, of course, because he came from Port Arlington. And I, that's when uh, we moved down to Port Arlington, which is the other side of Geelong. Right. We, we lived at St Leonard's. My dad was a professional fisherman. Dommy Rigby for years, he was a professional fisherman. And uh, it was down there that they found that I had these crook legs. So that's, I was, we were living there, so we had to move up here. And of course, then being down there and having to move up here to the children's hospital and pranks on the move between, they had to move up to Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So they, of course, moved to North Cube. So that's how it all sort of started. They moved back to North Cube where I was born originally. So you parents from Richmond as a kid? I did, with yeah. mum, yeah. Right. But then, see, then. The affiliation with Hawthorne's amazing because my cousin played in their first premiership side at Hawthorne, Morton Brown on our fourth wing. And that was my mother's sister's daughter. And there's been a sort of a link there between my dad's players going to Hawthorne. Now, tell me about the um, the injuries with your with your legs when you were a child. I had osteomyelitis, which right. is sort of 
the clay of the marrow of the bone. And of course, those years they didn't have the antibiotics and that, so it was pretty. See, Colin Sannington also had osteoarthritis, and he played for Richmond. Mm. But uh, anyway, that was it. And my legs, every time I'd stand, my knees would just blow up to like footballs. Right. And they just put me in splints and uh, did all the treatment. They did blood tests and skin tests and did all those sort of things, you know. But uh, eventually, one day, just after four years, it just. As the blues cleared. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was an amazing thing. And then that, I was about eight when that happened. And then uh, and at the age of 10, then I got rheumatic fever, which put me down. I was down for a couple of years with that. And then I wasn't allowed to play football or any sport because I had a little murmur in the heart, which made people weaken the muscles of the heart. So I used to follow my mates around. And then one day, they was 50, about 44 actually. Yeah, well, halfway through the season, uh, they were short of players. I said, well, you have to, have to help us out. And I wasn't basically playing football. Anyway, I, they went for the jumper on, they had big long pants on, and those old golf shoes that had the bad soles, and I, they put me full back. So that's where I started on the football there. My dad and mum didn't know, but when they found out, they absolutely went ape. And of course, my dad said to him in the finish, well, he's had an effect in there, so keep going. So then next year, 45, I won the best fairest that Eastern Bourbon, mm-hmm. then invited to Richmond. Yeah. Did you always want to play football as a child? Oh, nothing. Yeah. My, my first love actually was cricket. And I played sub-district seconds with Q. Yeah. And I loved my cricket, but uh, I, fully, I, I was always... See, I suppose what motivates, I used to sit there in, it, like, in this wheelchair, and I'd see these kids doing playing football and sports and that. And Colin Austin, who played for Hawthorne and then later came to Richmond, they used to push me around as a kid. And they used to say to Colin, one of these days I'm going to do what those kids are doing. So I think that was the motivation that because I was determined to be able to do what others, not, not better, but just do what others did. That was basically it. So you went, as a child, as a child you went to many football matches? No, no? no only, only, well, I, I, I was real there when I was young. But I, I, I never went and watched football. I wouldn't watch the uh, league Never ever saw them. Basically. So was there a time where you thought that maybe you won't be, you wouldn't make senior football? Oh, yes. Yeah, when I, uh, so I didn't think I could be good enough for senior football. That was the whole point. I just didn't have that. You were motivated enough, but you didn't think that you'd be good enough? I didn't think I, well, didn't think I'd be good enough. Didn't think I had that much of a ability, you know, but obviously I other saw things in there that I didn't see. And, uh, it just sort of came that I played in the seconds and then all of a sudden, bang, things fell my way. And see, Bill Morris left the club in 1950. And of course, when Bill left, I became number one ruckman. So that sort of turned my whole career around because then I, I had to do the work. Mm. Where when Bill was there, a bit like your father, when he was raving, you know, the other raves would get about two minutes a quarter. <laughs> and I used to get about three minutes a quarter with Bill Morris. Yeah. So that was the difference. So was there a moment when... It all suddenly changed for you where you, you, you could see that, yes, yeah, you were going to play football? Yeah, 51, started of 51. Yeah, started of 51. Up until then, you know, as I said, the first year was a, yeah, like three in the seconds and ten in the seniors, and then I played 12 games in about the next six, five years or something like that. And so there was no sort of saying, well, you're going to be a great player or that sort of rubbish. But then 
from there on, and I, I played very few games up until the start of '51, and that was the turning point in the whole career. And I thought, suddenly thought, hey, I'm a chance because Bill Morris had gone and the responsibility was on me. So that sort of turned my football career around a bit. Now, before that, were did were other clubs interested in your services right at the start, right at the very start? Hawthorne were interested. I trained at Hawthorne. I trained at Hawthorne for, oh, I suppose I trained there for months. I think this would have been about what year? Uh, 46. 46. See, Richmond took me, didn't want me, so they sent me back to North Q. So you obviously had trained at Richmond by by this time. Well, I played in the practice matches. Right. So the first practice match I played at Richmond were forty six, mm-hmm. and then they said, "Don't bring us; we'll bring you." And went back home to North Q. And then Hawthorne, Hawthorne said, "Hey, come and have a run with us," because they knew my sort of feelings because of my dad and Colin Austin's and all of those that had been in my dad's side. So it was sort of a follow on from there. So I trained there and used to take me to the Grand Gage Cafe, which is up at the railway bridge, and they'd give me something to eat of a night after I trained and drive me home. They'd drive me to the ground, give me something to eat, and then they'd drive me back home to North Kew. Right. And they, wanted, they obviously wanted me, and then must, Richmond must have heard about it. Because all of a sudden they said, hey, get back here. So I think that's what happened, really. Did you think, was there a greater chance that you were going to play with Hawthorne than Richmond, did you think? Oh, there was at that stage, yeah. yeah. But see, I don't know, see, there was Dyer, Borden, Bill Morris, Jones, just had a huge mob of big men, like Ragman. Now I am a 16-year-old, 17, no, 16, 17-year-old snotty-nosed kid, just turned 17, 46, you know, but a snotty-nosed kid. Like a sandwich, mate? No, that's right, no. Sure? No, true, no, I don't eat lunches, mate. Sure. Mate, I'm 15 stone 7, and I played at 16 four, so. Do you want a sandwich, mate? I'll be right. Do you want a sandwich? No, I'm fine. So that was sort of... Uh, <laughs> The area that we were in there. Yeah. Yeah. The big, big rat, and I thought, oh, I'd never get a gun there. Because it's the board and Morris and Jasper and, oh, got that. Flatter of big men. I thought, oh, jump and hell, you know. So that's why I was very interested in that. I thought, well, Hawthorne were battlers at that stage. The old Maybloods, I think they called them in those years. And to me, I thought, well, I've got a bigger chance to play league football at Hawthorne mm-hmm. than I would have at Richmond because they had this huge bundle of big men. So that was a lot of the thinking behind it. Not that, you know, I, I, I banged for Richmond because my mum banged for Richmond, that was basically it, but I was never sort of that died in the wool about it. Can I throw a question there, Roy? You, you weren't sort of uh, tantalised by the fact that Jack Dyer was at Richmond and that, you know, that sort of like would, would, would attract you to the club because Jack Dyer was there, you know? Oh, to a degree, you know, I think Maury said to me one stage, he said, like, you'll meet Jack Dyer, which was, you know, yeah. that was right, because Jack was. A huge magnum, big name, like you know, and he was, you know, meeting Jack was a big thrill, really. But it really didn't sort of, as I say, had I had the opportunity, I would have ended up at Hawthorne. See, Collingwood were interested in me. Uh, They offered me a new pair of boots and all this sort of stuff. Oh, yeah. Lashed out a bit. Yeah, lashed out. But that's that's when I went up to. uh, That stops in them? Yeah, that's when I went to train up in Campbell, you see. I trained at Campbell for. about a month. Yeah. Uh, Gil Henry was the president. He was at the bakery up there. Yeah, yeah so uh, that frowned at me. I'm not frowned at me. So who coached you, you to come back to Richmond? Uh, you trained at Hawthorne and Richmond. Well, uh, Richmond just said, well, you've got to play with us or you don't play league football. Well, that stage, just to give you an idea, you, you were, what happened was you were zoned. Right. And if you lived in a certain area, you had the only team you could play for, unless that 
team decided to clear you. Right. Yeah. If they decided you had a bill and didn't want to clear you, yeah. if you didn't play with them or you didn't play with anyone. Well, the other option was you could go and play association football for a year. Yeah. Having you done that year, then you could cross back to the league to any side of your choice, but you were barred for life by the association. Right. So that was the other option. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have a uh, did you have a job around about this time? Yeah, I had trucks actually. I had trucks at that stage. I was doing uh, carrying bricks for the Clifton Brick Cup. I, I, I had two trucks. My dad had he, he put my dad in one. I had one. And we used to do uh, three loads a day, seventeen hundred and fifty bricks, hand on hand off. None of this cranes and lifting them off. Yeah, so that, see, that's why I was I was huge in the arms and the chest and everything because it was all of this strong working side. You know, so. But uh, I had trucks, and then I did. Uh, it did stayed a bit in the off seasons in the summer months. I'd do Olympic cable up to Sydney and get uh, cement at Candos because you couldn't get cement after the war. So you get Candos at cement at, at cement at Candos and bring it back to the thick. So I did that, and my dad did uh, in the in the footy season. But we, that didn't last that long because it's not that much money. You know? So then we sort of uh, oh, I did shop deliveries. I was with some grocery mob. Very big food products, and then I was delivering all their stuff all around the suburbs. But that was the start of it, and uh, I then worked for Myers, worked for them in the carpentry department, and then uh, worked for Myers to uh, oh, Ron Chandler, I think he was a big carpet warehouse in Flinderslow, and worked there as a well, cutting carpet, cutting rhinos, and all that sort of jazz. So what was, what was the, sorry, what was the pay like? Football-wise, I'm talking. Oh, we've got, first uh, well, right, so started, we got uh, 15 bob a training night and 30 bob for playing Saturday. Who's you got paid for training? 15 bob each training night, which was 30 bob, and 30 bob for playing Saturday made you three pounds. When did they pay for the training after training, or did you get No, no, you got that at the end of, like, you got, you know, I'm some. At the end of the year? No, no, you used to get a pay night every now and so often during the year. Now, how'd you get to training in those days? Tram? Yep. But I had trucks, which I was lucky. But I, I used to go in the trucks a fair whack. Mm. But originally, like to go out to Westerns to play football, I'd get a bus from Northcote, get a tram oh, into the city, get a tram from the city into Westerns, play football, and then come back home by tram and bus. You know. But that was it. But in the finish, I used to take Kenny Orbison and right at the finish, Neville Crows, and I used to drive more home. It's like a couple drop run, you know, drop off here, drop off there, drop off there. Now was was training. What you expected? Well, see, we didn't train like that. Right. We get there. Well, because of your job, you get there about. Do you like did the grounds have lights back then? You know, just the nose. Right. So I had to get there before dark. Yeah, well, yeah. We were there about past four twenty-five. Right. We had to get the boss to let you off too. You know. And we sort of had to run the lap to start with, and then we'd have end-to-end kicks, and then we'd run a few sprints, do a couple of laps of things when we were in. It was never, never the training. Were you overwhelmed by the people you were training with? Uh, well, the Dyers and the Morrises, they were just sort of, uh, sort of huge names. There, is there a moment where you remember where, maybe it might have been your first training session, where you, you've come back home, you've just like, my God, I've just trained with Jack Dyer. Well, that's right, yeah. See, my, the guy that trained with them was just huge. Right. And then all, all that sort of, you think, God, if I just play one league game, you know, that, that's the first thing you go, the one league game, right? Then you get hungry because you want to play 10. Sure. But that was the thought, you know, even if I only played one league game or played league football, I think that was the key to it. 
What were your parents' reactions when they, when you know, they learned that you were training with Richmond? Well, they were worried because I still had this heart burn, you see, from rheumatic fever. But as the old man said, well, he said, you, you know, you played after season, and that's not bad because you say you must well keep going. So they were worried because because rheumatic fever does this to your heart, sort of weakens the muscle, and you get a little fibrillation or nerve everything in there. But it never, it never bothered me right through the whole career. So, you know. But that was uh, that was their biggest worry, maybe physically. See, I was very soft because I, I was a big bug, right? but I went there when I was seven and I was 15 stone, but I wasn't, you know, at that stage I wasn't really bothered up. But it was the bricks, cutting bricks and sort of bumped me up a bit. But the first couple of years I was as soft as butter, you know, I'd get whacked and I'd like, geez, I'd have a bruise because I'd never knocked around as a kid. So I'd been in hospitals and beds and this sort of jazz, so all of a sudden your body's up against the rigours of league football and pretty tough fellas. But anyway, it was overcome with, as I say, I think doing the manual work with the bricks and all that sort of stuff made a difference in the structure of muscles and the whole bunch of guys in there. Now, the, the practice matches you played in 46, did you actually think you, you performed quite well? Or uh, was it a bit tough with people you played? You know, because you, your mind's sort of swimming, you know, you, as you say, you're playing with Morris's and these sort of, and they're professional pro sort of fellas, and here's a young kid at 17 that doesn't know much about the game. And, uh, you know, when they said, oh, yeah, well, I thought, oh, well, maybe next year they'll invite me back. So I wasn't that disappointed because I thought, well, you know, to break in at that sort of stage, you've got to be bunch of lucky. So I was thinking, well, maybe next year I'll get another chance for practice games, you know. But it didn't bother me, really, that I said that. And then Richmond recalled you? Yeah, back to the same. Three games after the season started, and I played three games with the North Q and the, uh, with the seniors. And then they called me, said, Right, come up, and we want you to come up and play with Richmond in the seconds. So I went up, and the first game was at the Albert Ground, which is in Secure Road, and that was just after the war. That's where we played our games. We didn't play at Richmond Ground. And uh, so I did three games uh, sort of there. Um, which was mind-boggling because L.B. Panham was the coach and he came out from Collingwood and of course we always thought the you know, Collingwood's, we were never friends, you know, it was always this traditional enemies. But, um, and then when I came up I thought, well, you know, why? Why did they suddenly, after three games, say, don't bring us, we'll bring you, and then after three games they want me back there, which was a bit of a puzzlement really. But as I say, I was a pretty naive sort of 17-year-old, who I wasn't worldly. So, as I said, I spent so much time not in the world, you know, in the world of sort of knockabouts. Then you, you got caught up to the seniors? Yeah, I got caught up. I played three uh, three games in the seconds, and then I was put up into the first, which was um, the first game was against the Kilda. Uh, Jack Dye got reported over me, actually, which he never forgave me for. Two fellas, Ernie McIntyre and Reg Garvin. Well, we had muscles on muscles, Garvin. And uh, and, and he goes, bang, hit me behind. He said, gee, you're doing a good job, son. And I think, how long is this going on? You know. Anyway, the ball was in the center. I said, Mummy, Jack, we had Jack McMurray or something. He bounced the ball and Jack positioned himself. So he's gone bang like that. He's broken Garvin's nose. He's gone bang and he smashed Ernie McIntyre in the mouth and he was a dentist. So Jack's up on the charge. Anyway, he got off it. (laughs) (laughs) He said to me, he said, get out of full forward. Yeah, right, eh? So you're down to full four, and he's waiting for me down there, Keith Miller, as cricketer. 
Mags or Snakey, wasn't it? Anyway, let out and bang, he's tiptoed right over, knocked around, just tiptoed straight over and kept running. So next minute, Jack's come down and he's, he's put himself in the forward pocket. He said, next time you'll need keep running. I said, don't worry about that. I nearly ended up in Fitzroy Street, bloody St Kilroy, ran that far. Next minute, I'm look around and those poor old trees out flat and of course, and, and Jack were the greatest of mates, you know. And he's laid him out and he's, when he comes, he said, now leave the kid alone. Oh, because how long's this been going on? He's still leaving his legs. That would have uh, been pretty... Uh, it was a great baptism in the football, I can tell you that. I thought, how long has this been going on? Did you win that day? I can't remember, mate. No. I honestly can't remember. I think they were very kind. They gave me an award. I think they were very kind, which was sort of, you know, encouraged to get a bit. <laughs> when, did you, when did you find out that you were going to play your first senior game? Or how did you find out? Uh, at the, uh, on the Thursday. Right. I was training night. <coughs> And Laurie Fleming, who was just the Prince of Secretaries, Laurie came up to me, because Laurie was always my side of things. He always sort of was looking after me. He came up this night and he said, uh, you've been seeing this on Saturday. <coughs> he said, watch the paper. But they used to have it on radio in that state, so yes. we heard it. Al Brown just to say, back, Herb Robbins, Herb Wiggins, Herb Wilson, this is what he used to do at Alfred. Uh, Rux, Wright, uh, Cook. So I knew I was in men, so I had to go to the ground Saturday, of course, to get your boots for all that sort of thing. So we played the first game at St Kilda, the old ground, which is a beautiful ground, mm-hmm. down the corner of Fitzroy Street and uh, St Kilda Road. So that's how I first found out. Did you, um, did you go out and celebrate that, that, that night? See, I didn't drink or smoke, really. Right. Obviously. I just thought, after all what you've been through, you finally, no, first senior match, you've run out. No, I, I was sort of still, head was still spinning, you know, I just didn't know, but... I got home that night and uh, my dad was there, of course. I knew so I looked up at the race and said, How are you, Snowy? I said, Yeah, I'm all right, Dad. So you know, there was no problem, he was there. So, so I had family around for support, which was like, bloody interesting. Right. But you're talking about how do I know? It's so with the brown lines. Uh, <coughs> 52 I fell out of a tree, no one had even tipped me. So Billy Hutch and I tied on 21 each, and I went on a campaign. So uh, I think, I forget who it was now, um, Casey, Robson well, Ron Casey, I think it was, his name was Casey, I'm not sure, but anyway, he eventually found me at North Kew and said, so they came in and they, uh, and I didn't even know, they just came in and said, oh, you want a brown line medal, so, fair, fair thing, oh, that's good, yeah. so I didn't know, I didn't that's know. how you found out, I, hmm? that's how you found out, yeah, I had no idea, I wanted until Al Brown and him knocked on the front door. Today, you know, we won the round of medals. So, yes, that boy got fair. Terrific, so that's great. So, <laughs> the next time, <laughs> 54. <laughs> you, knew, wait, you, you knew the Brownlow medal count was on that night? I didn't know. No, I wouldn't have known. No, I wouldn't have known. I wasn't even going to the swing. So, when did you receive your certificate? Or, or you I got on? that in uh, February the. February uh, 53 at the annual meeting of the Richmond Footy Club. I've got a photo at home actually of Mike uh, McBrien, and it just came a little white plastic box. <coughs> no ribbon, none of that caper. I just pinned it up on, the photo you pinned it up on me, the pal at the Richmond, at the Richmond Town Hall, the Richmond Annual Meeting. Uh, Roy, you didn't receive your brown label on, uh, on uh, Grand Final Day. Or <laughs> 
Well, they used to give it around with the grand final day. They used to give it uh, used to run a lap of final with first semi-final. In the finish, first semi-final it was. First semi. <coughs> no, that was later on. But in those days, I oh, see. So Fifty-two. I didn't live it. And fifty-four, they got me to walk out from the members, walk out to the thing. I met the governor general, I think it was. Wave to the crowd, then just walk straight back in the members. Now, my footy gear. Oh, your footy gear. Yeah, the footy gear. Yeah, yeah. Footy gear. Yeah. Yeah. So then they introduced the lap of final for a while. Ah, oh, after that they did. Yes. Yeah. They yeah. don't do now. No. So then, '54, my grandmother was crook, so my mum and all of us moved up to her place, which was two streets up in North Kew. Uh-huh. So we were up at her place, and uh, the phone rang, <laughs> and I picked the phone up. Hello, and I said, "Oh, Harry Dyke, I said, "Oh yes, Harry." He said, "You're that far in front. You'd have to fall over to lose the Brownlow." He said, "You've got a second one." That's how I found out. But everybody rang me up. He walked out of the counting room because I had. I got 29 votes that year, and I think Neil Mann got 19. Mm. And I was that far in front, but the yeah. games left, I couldn't be beat. So he said, well, you've won your second one, don't worry about it. I said, oh, terrific, Gary, yeah, thanks. Then later on, I think, oh, they all converged. The mother said, they find out where you are. Mm. They converged on the grandmothers, and bang, that was it. <coughs> yeah. All well, the press was there, and That's pretty overwhelming. And when did you actually receive your brello in that year? Uh... 54 was again at the annual meeting. Right. Yeah. In the same little white box? Yeah, little white box. No ribbons, none of that sort of rubbish. You sure? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, they did have a little bit of plush line And that was part one of the interview with the gentle giant, Roy Wright. Gee, he has some great stories. And uh, his mind was so sharp, and he was such a wonderful, wonderful person to spend time with. A reminder, if you're listening to the podcast through iTunes, please can you ensure that you give it a rating? Just click on those stars. The more stars, the more uh, people who will get to listen to the podcast because it will get more promotion on iTunes. And if you can, also leave a bit of a comment too on that page. Um, I'd love to know your thoughts on how it's all going as well. Well, keep an ear out for uh, the next part of Roy Wright Interviews. Uh, in the next few podcasts. I'm Rhett Bartlett. Good thanks.